Welcome to this week's message from Southland Church. We hope you enjoy this teaching by Stefan Dirksen, pastor of Four Winds Ministry. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I am Stefan Dirksen, the pastor of Four Winds Ministry here at the church. And I'm going to be preaching the next two weeks. I get the pleasure of doing so. And, and I actually had a lot of fun getting this message together. And I, I find, you know, I, I talked about family here. I really feel like this is my family. I have my direct family and then I have my big family. And I really, it's, it's amazing how much love that God can give us for each other, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's a great joy to be able to come up here and share, you know, what God's been showing me with all of you guys and that we're able to, you know, hold hands and walk together and grow together is a great privilege. It's a great privilege that not everyone gets to experience here on this earth. So now without getting anyone to raise your hand, so I'm going to ask if anyone's experienced a list of things, and it could be something else. Don't raise your hands if you ex- experience them because they're all bad things, okay? But uh, it's leading into what I'm going to be teaching. So don't remember, no raising your hands. You'll be embarrassed because I'll single you out. <laughs> Possibly. No, I wouldn't do that. All right, so uh, how many people when parenting have ever... You know, you know you're supposed to love your kids, and you're supposed to raise them up, and you know, you know you want to connect with them. And how many people here have, in the moment, lost it in, in some distress and ended up yelling at your kids or doing something that you later on regretted? Don't raise your hands, okay? <laughs> has that ever happened, right? How about, uh, has anyone here ever withheld, you know, love from their spouse because they didn't feel like they were getting what they wanted from the marriage? Has anyone ever experienced that? I'm sure not, right? Has anyone in here ever held back communication with their spouse or with a coworker or with their boss because they were afraid of how they would respond if they would share with them what had happened or what was going on? It's hitting close to home. I mean, how many of us have lied to cover up a mistake? Right? We just, or maybe just exaggerated the truth to make things sound a little bit better than they actually were. And then you get into more serious things. I mean, what about how many of those have ended up engaging in pornography, looking at pornography or using drugs or alcohol, you know, uh, uh, to, to self-medicate when they know that they should just be trusting in Jesus, right? Or those who can't wait until they're married. They can't wait until they're married to have sex. They, they can't wait that long. So they defile the marriage bed even before they're married, right? I mean, all of these things, I mean, what do they have in common, okay? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And I could list off a great deal many more things. I mean, we all have dysfunction. All of us do. We all malfunction. We all make mistakes. We all sin. We all struggle. We all have weakness in us. But what all of these have in common is a failure to answer the question, who am I? So, and that's what I'm going to be speaking on today is knowing your identity. Okay, so that question, who am I, is a question that all of us ask on a regular basis. You might not be aware of it, Right? Because it exists on the right side of your brain. It doesn't necessarily communicate to you in the, in the form of words. But it is how you live. You are always looking for the answer to that question in, different, in whatever you are facing. You're looking for, who am I? What is it like me to do? And so on and so forth. Failure to answer this question leads to all sorts of personal problems and relational problems. And just like I already listed, all those kinds of problems. When we don't know who we are, then we act like someone who we aren't supposed to be. And obviously, this is not in line with who Jesus created us to be. We don't want to live in those kinds of dysfunctions. And that's what I'm going to be preaching on these next two weeks is knowing your identity. So bow your heads. I'm going to pray again because I love prayer. Jesus, we just want to thank you that you came to redefine who we were. You actually did that for us. And that's a wonderful truth to know that it doesn't matter where we come from, 
doesn't matter what our history is, what our background is, what our struggles have been. The truth is, anyone in here who calls upon your name can become a new creation. They can put off the old self and put on a new self. So Jesus, that is a great hope for all of us. That is hope. doesn't matter what we're struggling with today. doesn't matter how long we've been following you and what we've been dealing with. There is hope because we can put off the old self and put on a new self. So Jesus, I pray today that you would fill us with hope, your hope, that you would fill us with your presence, that you would teach us how do we take off the old self? How do we put on this new self? What is the process? So would you guide us by the power of your spirit? In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so this past year I've gotten to speak, I'm not sure how many times I've spoken, but I've been kind of alluding to a lot of the things I've been learning, uh, studying from Dr. Jim Wilder and, and uh, his team there about the brain and how God made us. And I've, it's kind of come out in a lot of the things I've been preaching. And uh, today and next week, I'm kind of going to be pulling a lot of those pieces together to kind of give you a clearer picture of how they all work together. Um, but I, I know I've said this before, but it's the best thing about learning how God made us has been actually just, it's fascinating and it causes you to worship when you realize we were made to live according to the Word. It's amazing to actually realize that, right? We read the Word and it's full of all of these, like, I mean, good advice and this is how you should live and this is how you should be. But if we would actually follow it, that's actually how we were designed. We were designed to live in accordance with the Word of God. It's an amazing, amazing thing how God has made us. So, God has a specific answer to the question, who am I for each one of us? Each one of you are asking it, and God has a specific answer for each one of you and for me. And that's what we're going to be looking at this week, and the next week we're going to be doing some practicum stuff. So let's look at the importance of identity. Why is this question so important? Uh, the region of your brain that is responsible for your identities, it takes up about 35% of your adult brain. So it's fairly substantial. It takes up a big chunk of who you are. All right? It is, uh, if you remember last January, you probably don't remember that far back, but last January I spoke about the, the five-level control center, and I talked about the message on joy, the joy center. Level four is the level, that's the level devoted to identity, okay? So it should, it should come as no surprise if that's 35% of our adult brain that Scripture has a whole bunch to say about who we are and who we are supposed to be, right? Scripture is full of it. I mean, every time you get into the Word, especially when you're reading through the New Testament, it's all about redefining who you are, redefining who you are. This is how you should behave. This is how you should act. No longer do these things, but do this. And we're talking about identity, Right? So what is the function of your identity? Because we wonder. I mean, there's a lot of questions on this. When I've talked to people, often they're like, well, I'm not really totally sure. What does it mean? The, you know, how do I answer that? What is my identity? Am I a man? Am I a husband? Am I a father? Am I a son? What am I? Well, you've got to understand a bit about what the identity center is controlling. Okay? So it's the center for emotional regulation. So what do I mean by that? It allows you to, you know, when I'm feeling anger or sadness or shame, it allows me to, if it's healthy and strong, it allows me to stay relational, and it also allows me to act with myself regardless of how I'm feeling. That's emotional regulation. So I don't get overwhelmed in anger and lose my mind, and you think, wow, I never want to see you angry again because you're a totally different person. Okay? So that's, that's one of the pieces that your identity governs. Another one is it allows you to form bonds with three or more people. Those are family bonds. Right? It allows you to have strong families. When you have a strong sense of self, you have something to pass on to your kids, and I'll explain a little bit later how that works, why that, that piece is so important. It also is responsible for our personal preferences. And you say, well, what's important about personal preferences? Well, actually, it's very important to know what your personal preferences are, and I actually have talked to many people that don't have any personal preferences. You ask them what they like, they don't know what they like. They don't know. They live lives more or less trying to be a chameleon, fitting in and just doing whatever they think other people want them to do. 
right? People-pleasing, people, uh, personal preferences is important to understand. It also allows us to have creativity, to think outside the box, right? To see things not just in a linear logical process, but to actually look outside that, to put relationship first over task, those kinds of things. That's all part of that. It also governs our ability to be satisfied. You say, well, what's important about satisfaction? I'll tell you what's important about satisfaction. When we don't understand how to satisfy one, that is satisfy ourselves, that is the leading cause that leads to addiction. That's where addiction comes from, because we don't actually know how to be satisfied inside, so we begin to like claw and scrape at anything that will make me feel better in the moment. Right? It's a lack of learning what is satisfactory to me. Okay? So this is also part of your identity. Another one is goal-directed behavior. Now, what I don't mean by goal-directed behavior is, I can, like, if I have a task to do, I do the task regardless of who gets hurt in the process. Because you might be thinking, hey, I have that already. No, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? What I'm talking about is goal-directed behavior. So when I'm in marriage and me and my wife have a disagreement, I don't lose sight that I actually desire oneness over getting my own way. Does that make sense? That's goal-directed behavior. I understand that we are married, we have a commitment to each other. That's my goal, is to grow in oneness together and to serve Jesus together. That's my goal. Even when I'm overwhelmed, I still serve that goal. Does that make sense? That's goal-directed behavior. That's our identity is responsible for that. It also governs moral and social behavior. You can see the implications for why that would be important in the Christian world, right? Governing moral choices. Obviously, that's important to each one of us. Um, we want to be able to live in accordance to what we know to be right and wrong. And lastly, it also allows us to calm and control our impulses. You say, what do you mean like impulses? I'm talking about hunger, terror, rage, our sexuality, all that kind of stuff. Those can be very, very powerful driving forces that can push us through all sorts of things, right? And a strong identity allows us to govern that, allows us to override that, and to make the right choice instead of the impulse choice. Okay, so you can see all the different functions of your identity, but if I were, you know, if I were to sum it all up, what is the identity center looking for? It's the answer to one question, and that question is this. What is it like me and my people to do when we feel or face blank? Whatever that might be, anger, when I have a marital problem, when I have, you know, a, I made a mistake at work, when we feel good, bad, all those different emotions and things that we can experience, what this part of your brain is looking for, when we have a strong identity, it's answering that question. And you might be wondering, what, is, what does my people have to do with it? Okay, so what is it like me to do, so personally, and my people would be my family, could be my peer group, my community. In Christian uh, circles, our, our people should be the church. So what we're looking for is when I'm angry, what is it like me and my people, the Christian church, what is it like me and the church to do when I feel this? That's what I'm looking for when I get angry. And you might say, I've never actually thought that question, Stefan. Are you sure? Okay, well, you have to understand a little bit about how we're made again, right? That your identity is on the right side of your brain. It doesn't think in words. It thinks in feelings. But if you were to ascribe words to what you were feeling and looking for, this would be the question that you're trying to answer. Right? What is it like me and my people to do? If you have a strong sense of self, if you can answer this question correctly, you're better able to make decisions that are, that, that are true to who you actually are, that are in line with who you want to be and who God created you to be. All right. So I'll give you an example of how this works. And uh, very, very recently, and this is a very, uh, I'll try not to get too serious on it because it's still kind of tender in my heart. But uh, uh, Right before we, we took a trip, me and my wife to go learn some more about this kind of stuff. Right before that, we had to put our two cats down, Tony and George. And you might, I know for all the non-animal lovers in here, you think, 
Oh, what's the big deal? They're just animals. You put them down. But I will just quickly, I'm not going to go into a long explanation on this, but you should know we share on the attachment levels, those, the part of your brain that allows you to form strong bonds, we share the same type of attachment level with animals that we do with people. So you can actually grow very strong bonds, even for you, oh, those that, you know, that don't understand how you could ever bond with an animal. You can, and it can be very real pain. It's not the same as losing a, a human, uh, someone that you're close to, but it still hurts. Anyhow, so what we were doing is, I had this idea, and me and my wife talked about it. We thought it would be a good idea. We, were, we had the appointment scheduled for the day after. We thought, you know what? The day before, let's do an appreciation time around the table. We're going to talk with the kids because as a way to process, right? We're going to talk around the table and share stories of things that we've appreciated and loved about our cats, George and Tony. And I was really excited for this because I knew this would help me process and it would help the family process. So the idea going in was very, very good. The problem was, once we started, I actually have a very deep bond. I had a very deep bond and attachment to my cats. I love animals, and I really love them. They're 12 years old, both of them. They've been with me since before I gave my life to Jesus, till after. I mean, they've walked through a lot of really messed up things that most people shouldn't even walk through. Uh, but they, they've been through. They have their own testimony, right, of finding Jesus. <laughs> Whatever. Sorry. But anyway, so we're going and doing this appreciation around the table. Excuse me. Where's... No Kleenex. Anyways, it doesn't matter. So we're doing this appreciation going around the table, and it's one person after the next. And you know what was happening to me as we were going around? I was starting to get more and more overwhelmed, right? Because I was feeling multiple different feelings. I felt sad because I was about to lose friends. They were close to me. I felt sad. You know what else I felt? Hopeless despair. I lacked the time and resources. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. I could have turned that off and shielded you from that. Alas, I did not. <laughs> so I felt sadness. I also felt hopeless despair. I lacked the time and resources. I didn't have an answer for how I could fix the problem. Right? I felt fear. I just wanted to get away. I didn't want to feel these things. I didn't know what to do. So I wanted to get away. So here we have this complex emotion that's building up. And the more it rises up inside of me, the more I start thinking, I don't want to be here with my family. I don't want to be talking with my kids right now. I don't want to be talking with my wife. I want to go away and hide. That's what I want. Have you ever felt like that? You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever felt like that? I just want to get away. That's not who God created me to be. So what I did is I did actually excuse myself. I caught myself feeling this way. I went into my bedroom and I said, Lord, you've got to help me. I need your help in this. Right? I need your help. And the first thing he reminded me of, and this is something I've been working on, is who am I? He talked to me about who I was. He said, you're a shepherd. Remember, you're a shepherd. And as soon as I heard that, those words, I remembered, I am a shepherd. And a shepherd puts the needs of his flock over his own. So I went back out to be with my family because I knew they're also hurting. I can't, as a dad and as a shepherd, pull away just to treat myself because they also need me. And that's who I am. So I was able to go back outside, be with my family, help them process. And did it make it easy? No, it wasn't easy. We bawled. Actually, when I met my wife in the kitchen after that, I just totally broke down weeping in front of my family. And it was a very, you know, it was a very vulnerable moment. But we all ended up hugging and being close, and we were able to return to joy and be glad to be together. It was a wonderful experience. But I had to act in line with who I was, regardless of how I was feeling. That's just one example. I could give you many more, and we'll, and we'll look a lot more at the practical side next week. But that's what I mean by acting like, like what is it like me and my people to do when we feel this? That's what it's like me and my people to do when we feel sadness and overwhelmed. It's like me to put the needs of others before myself. Okay, that's what I'm getting at with answering that question. All right, so I know, you know, when we think about this, actually here, I'm going to skip to this part here just for, yeah. So how does this grow? How do we grow the sense of self? 
So how it grows is this. You start growing your identity right from the moment you're born. Right from the moment you're born, you bond with your mom and you already begin downloading and kind of connecting with her and learning who you are. Right? So with little things like this, how mom looks at you, how dad looks at you, especially mom though in the first 18 months, but how mom looks at you is already telling you who, you're, who you are and who you're going to be later on in life. So if mom looks at you and she's happy and full of joy, you think, and your brain feels, hey, I must be someone that's worth being around. So we build strong joy centers in our identity. We build strong joy identities because we feel, hey, there's something valuable, intrinsically valuable about me. That's how you feel. You feel it. You don't think those words. What if mom looks at me and she's afraid? If, if she looks at you and she's always afraid, you begin to learn, oh, I am someone who should be afraid because the world is a scary place to live in. So you begin growing strong fear centers in your brain. That's how it works, and it's all affecting your identity, who you think you are, who you feel like you are. When you answer that question, who am I, you think it's like me to be fearful when I face whatever it might be, blank. Okay? And so on and so forth. So that's how it starts. And I know that could be scary for some of you moms here, but don't worry about it. There's hope, and I'll get to that in just a moment. And then the other thing that grows our identity, so that's how it starts, just by seeing your reflection in the face of another that you're close to. Right? So you see how mom looks at you. That reflection shows you what type of person you are. Same with dad. That's how it works. So those close bonds are the ones that are most important in the, in the early years. And then as you continue to grow, it becomes more about modeling. You hear the old adage, uh, do as I say and, and not as I do. If you say that in your home, stop. It doesn't actually work. And the reason is because that's not how our identities grow. Your identity doesn't, it doesn't grow with words. It grows, it's the right hemisphere of your brain. It grows through modeling and experience and feeling. That's how it grows. So whatever I see my parents do, that's what I'm going to do. And you say, well, but what do you mean by that exactly? Well, I'll give you an example. And this is, by the way, not what my parents taught me. Suppose every time my parents you know, face stress in their lives, and this is not, I'll get to that later, this is not what they taught us, but suppose when they felt stress, they always went to Facebook. Okay? Suppose. Now, Facebook didn't even exist when they were younger. <laughs> that dates them, doesn't it? I know. But anyway, suppose they did that. What, what do I learn growing up in that home? I'll tell you what I learned. I learned that when you face stress and overwhelm in life, the right response is, it's like me and my people to become non-relational and turn to something to feel better. Do you hear how that works? That's an identity statement. That's what you learn when that's modeled for you. Your parents don't ever have to tell you that. You just learn it, right? And then later on in life, you're wondering and you feel guilty. Why? Oh, man, I don't know what's wrong. Every time I feel stress, I try to be relational with my kids. The stress hits. I get triggered. And suddenly, I just, I don't want to be around them at all. I just want to go to blank. And I can't figure out how to stop. I don't know why I'm doing that. That's why we do that. That's how we learn our identities. That's how it grows. That's, it's shaping and answering the question, who am I? What is it like me and my people to do when we feel blank? Okay, obviously this works also for good things as well. When your parents model well, then you also learn good habits and good, good ways to answer that question. Uh, but, uh, but the point is this, okay? When I'm talking about this and how our identity grows, I know for parents, especially in here, it can be very easy to get a little bit overwhelmed with this kind of information. Very easy. Because you can look at this and say, oh dear, I'm screwing up my kids, they're doomed. Because who can do this right all the time? Nobody. Nobody gets it right all the time. Everyone makes mistakes, not even just a few, everyone makes many. Because in God's eyes, we're all that little three-year-old or younger. Right? We're all the one just bumbling around making mistake after mistake after mistake. That's how it is, that's reality. But here's the hope. You know what scripture says, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. That's hope. 
It doesn't actually matter how good your parents, well, I mean, it matters. But I'm, what I'm saying is, even if they did the best job possible, if you were going to actually adopt your new nature, you would still have the old pass away, and you would still have the new that comes. So it doesn't matter where you're at, you still have to put off the old self and put on the new self. We still have to be redefined in the presence of Jesus. All of us need a savior, it doesn't matter where you're at. So don't let this be a message or information of guilt that creates a higher level of, oh, I have to, I have to perform, perform, perform. That's not what it's about. It's a message of hope. There is an answer. You can't change with your kids. You don't know how to stop responding a certain way. There's an answer. Jesus wants to help redefine who you are in those moments. He wants to help you teach. He wants to teach you how to regulate those big emotions so you can stay relational. He can do that later on in life. So you might say, okay, I already know who I'm supposed to be. So I get it for the people who don't know who they're supposed to be so they don't know how to answer that question. So then they just do whatever and they, they respond badly. What about for those, you ever felt like you have all the right answers? You know the right answers. You just can't seem to live up to what you know to be true. You ever felt like that? You feel like such a failure then. You feel shame, right? Why can't I do the things that I, I... I know the answer. I've had so many people in my office tell me that. I know the answer already. I know it. I just can't do it. There's something wrong with me. You know, we weren't the first ones to feel that way. Paul talked about this in Romans 7, verse 15. He says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not, uh, for I do not, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. So Paul understood this problem. I know we've preached this many times before. You've heard this, but it's sobering. We have to actually realize this isn't a new problem. We've all felt this way before. I know I should be more loving, but I just can't. I don't know why. I know I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be doing this sin, this bondage. I, I know I shouldn't. I know every time I do it, it means that I must not love Jesus, but I don't know how to stop. I can't, right? That's what we're talking about here. So what's the problem there? And that really brings us to the next point. And that is, there is two kinds of knowing. And you think, what do I mean by that, two kinds of knowing? When talking about who we are, how many people in here have said these lines before? I've got to get what's in my head into my heart. Ever felt like that? I know, I know it up here. I just got to get it from here. Duh, swallow, breathe it in, and somehow, you know, pound your chest. Get it right in here. Once it gets in here, we know something about getting it here changes the way we live and behave. Right? So we know that. You know, we say things like, I know all the right answers, I just can't do that. Okay? So we all know that there's two ways of knowing. We kind of all know that, right? There is knowledge in the, in the mind we talk about, and then there is knowledge in the heart. And we know that one doesn't do very much for helping you in your, in your time of need, and the other one changes a lot of how you behave. So when we're talking about mind and heart, you can think of it in other words as well. You could think about, about it like left and right hemisphere. You could. There is knowledge on, on the left side, and uh, that is knowing facts, okay? And then there is knowledge on the right side, which is knowing skills. So I want to give you an, uh, just a great example of how you understand how this whole thing works, okay? Now, suppose, I mean, hockey is a big thing in Canada. So suppose you've never been on the ice before, you've never played hockey, you've never actually grabbed a stick or handled a puck, or even street hockey with a ball or anything. You've never done any of that stuff, okay? But you, you love hockey. You decide right from early on in your life, you, I mean, it's something that just caught your attention. You have watched lots of hockey. Okay, so from the age of five, you started watching hockey. You were really, really into it. You know all of, you know, you, you might even have been watching it so long that you know who the Hall of Famer people are. You know who's going to make it in the Hall of Fame. You know all the different names. You know the strategies. You know the plays. You know the coaches. You have all the right answers if someone would talk to you about hockey. Right? I mean, if they were to give you a quiz on what do you know about hockey, you would be able to just list it off, beat anybody because you've been studying it now for 30 years or, or more. Okay, so you know the skill of hockey, okay? So you know it as fact. So you can answer any question. 
How good are those facts that you know if you were to be put in an NHL arena in a, in a live, real-time game? How much are those facts that you know in your left hemisphere, how much are those going to change how you do in the actual game when it comes down to it? Do you think you'll be able to play at an NHL level, at a professional level? The answer is not a chance. We know that. Obviously, the answer is obvious to that. All those facts would do nothing to help you when you actually have to put skates on. If you had never skated before, watching someone else skate a million times won't make you the best skater. Even if you watched the best skater, you're still going to have to, at some point, put on skates and learn how to skate, learn how to stride. And then when you learn how to stride, you're going to have to learn how to stop, how to turn. You have to learn all of those. They're all different skills that are going to be a part of the skill of hockey that you could learn later on. Right? We know this to be true with hockey. This is how it works. Right? But this is actually how all, I mean, everything that we learn on our skill side, on the right hemisphere, you learn all of that stuff the same way that you would learn the skill of hockey. And the types of things that fit on the right hemisphere are things like maturity, character, your identity. Obviously, we know in Scripture, Scripture talks about all of these things being a process, and this is why. God made us this way. He made us that we can't learn these as facts. You can't learn to be loving by reading it and suddenly become loving in all circumstances. No one can. It's impossible. And this is a safeguard for us. It's a safeguard because you can't just learn it and now just rely on your own knowledge to get through life. He says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. You're still going to need a coach, just like you would need if you want to be face, you know, playing in the NHL. You're going to need a coach. You're going to need a mentor. You're going to need someone to walk with you. God designed us that we would need Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, to actually grow in the things that Scripture teaches us about. He made us that way, and we learn them like skills. Okay, so they're skills. Regulating your emotions, making good moral choices even when it hurts. How about faith and trust? Faith and trust aren't a left hemisphere idea. They're not fact like that. I mean, there's truth to that. They are, they are a fact, but they're not something you just hear. Oh, you have faith, so now I have faith. Oh, we're supposed to live by faith. Now, no matter what I feel, I will be able to be someone with faith. Doesn't work that way. You learn it like a skill, right? You might learn about faith in the Bible, learn about it from one of your friends, and then say, I want to grow there, but now how do you grow? The same way you grow with getting in hockey. You got to put skates on and start practicing, you practice and you fall again and again and again and again and slowly you start learning how to balance and then how to move forward and then how to stop and how to turn. And you learn the skills of faith and trust. You learn the skill of being thankful in all things. Going to God instead of blank for your fulfillment. It's a skill you learn. These are things that you have to learn like a skill. They're all stored on the right side in the prefrontal cortex. Okay? So what you have to know about this, and Chris kind of talked about this last week, is there's no shortcuts here. No shortcuts. There is no one prayer you pray to shortcut the process of learning new skills. You want to have more faith? You want to have faith to make it through the struggle that you're going through? Then put on your skates and get ready to practice. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. That's how it works. Okay? Ephesians 4, 15 to 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Think about that. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. This is the growth. That's what it talks about, growing, right? Ephesians 4, 20 to, uh, 23, actually. But 
This is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here we have this process outlined to us again. There's a process. We have to grow in this. We have to learn in this. There's something we have to do. We have to put off the old self. We have to learn to put on the new self. It's not just an idea that you pray, okay, Jesus, this morning I wake up and I just die to my old self and I put on my robes of righteousness. I'm not saying that's bad to pray that prayer. You pray that prayer, good. You ask him for help. But that's not what, that's not what makes you become a new creation. That's not what changes it. Now you partner with him and you walk with him and you walk it out. What does that look like walking in righteousness? Right? You make a mistake at work. Instead of hiding it and not telling your boss, now you have integrity and you show him what you did. And you apologize. You just come out. That's how you learn righteousness, how to walk in righteousness. That make sense? You learn it. It's a skill. You try it. You keep doing it. You keep doing it. The more you do it, the better you get at it. You learn it. And you, you can become a master at it. This is something I had to actually, um, I'll give you a couple of examples. I'll, I'll give you the first one here. This is something I've, I, this is a problem that a lot of Christians have, this whole understanding the two kinds of knowing, because we assume, we get it with hockey. If I say hockey, dance, if I talk about skills, learning how to cook, learning how to do anything that's a skill base, you totally get that reading it isn't good enough. You get it, right? We can all read the same cookbook, and yet it's going to come out different. And it, no matter who makes it, it'll be different. It doesn't come out the same, right? Because we know the skill of cooking is different than reading the mastery of just reading a book. Okay? Yet when we apply this to Christian living, we all just expect right away whatever I learn that I will just be able to do at whatever level that I learned it. So we talk about faith. Well, I want to have faith just like Pastor Ray and Fran. I want their, yeah, I'll just have faith like that. I'll just trust God. You've never taken a step before? You think you're going to be able to trust God the way they do? It's not, it's not a truth to be learned here. That's a, it's a skill to be learned here. They've been practicing it for many, many years. That's how that works, right? We don't translate this. I, I mean, we all struggle with this. Just recently, uh, in December and January, I had a bunch of anxiety. I, I know Chris has talked about that. Mine was much less. But December and, and, and January, I had a whole bout of anxiety. And for me, I mean, I, I would just feel it. We'd go to my parents on the weekend and everyone would be talking, and I would just shut down. Normally, I'd want to talk and engage. I just wanted to shut down, and I wanted to go home. Then we would find an excuse to you know, go home early, and I would just sit there, and then I wouldn't really want to be around my kids. I wouldn't really want to be around Louise. And you're just kind of fighting this thing. And I knew that, you know, then, then you have the Christian answer. I know here, you should just go to God with this. But uh, you know the answer, but you can't do it. I just, ah, I can't, right? Because I just, just want to, you know, I'll go there once I stop feeling this. If I could just get the, this feeling to go away, then I'll go and do the right thing. I get that, right? Isn't that, have you ever felt like that? I'm sure you've felt like that. We've all felt like that because we're human beings. We all feel these same things. So I ended, up, I ended up going to him finally, six weeks in. I know, whatever, don't judge me. <laughs> you can come up here and give your own examples of how you failed and <laughs> overcome, okay? We're all in this together. So finally I go to God and he talks to me about unforgiveness. You have unforgiveness in your heart. And I'm like, unforgiveness. I just assumed it must be to my lovely wife, Louise. Um, but it wasn't. I know it's like, why is that funny? It's not funny, I know. The only reason I assumed it was Louise, not because she does anything wrong, it's just because the closest relationships are normally where you c carry the closest hurts. Isn't that the way it works, right? That's the truth. Because we let them into our hearts at a level that no one else goes to. She has the ability to hurt me like none of you else do. She can do it, right? She has that ability. So that's, I just assumed there must be something I'm holding on to, unforgiveness with Louise. So I was asking the Lord, Lord, I don't know what it would be with, with her. And he said, it's not with your wife. You're not forgiving yourself. 
And as soon as he said it, it just stung. And I knew, wow, I don't know how to forgive myself. And he said, Stefan, you know, you prayed for a bunch of, like, I actually prayed and fasted the year before I was praying. I'm like, Lord, I want to be able to learn at a higher level. I feel like that what you're calling me into, I need to be able to learn. I need to be able to study and glean from the word and glean from books and all that stuff. And I was praying and fasting about that. He gives me this ability to learn. Suddenly I can soak things up in books like I've never been able to before, ever in my life. It was a total answer to a prayer and fasting month. And so I had a whole year of that. I've been learning lots, learning, learning, learning. And you know what ended up happening after a year of learning? I got to a place where I was expecting everything that I learned, every truth that I learned about how we should behave, I would then hold myself to that standard. Well, guess what? I was failing miserably at that standard. I had lots of right answers, knowing the right thing to do, and very little ability to actually do it. And Jesus just said, son, it's a process. It's okay to learn just the way everyone else learns. I've given you an ability to learn facts, the skills that you're still going to have to learn just like everybody else. That's just the way life works. You learn it, and that's okay. He wants to walk with us in that. It's okay to fall down. You know, my kids learned how to skate this year, a bunch of them, and you could see the difference between the different kids, right, on who got better quicker, and it basically had to do with who kept getting up when they fell down. That was really the thing that defined who mastered the skill of skating first over the other person. They all started with falling down. No one starts skating like an NHL or a figure skater and doing all sorts of things. No one starts there. It's impossible. Same with all these things listed in Scripture. No one starts that way. Nobody. We all grow into it. We grow into it. We grow into putting on this new self. That's how it works. Now, don't get me wrong. Knowledge is important. So in the West, we say knowledge is power. You ever heard that before? Knowledge is power. Now, is there power with knowledge? Certainly there is. Certainly there's power in knowledge. But I think that's actually short-sighted because knowledge is, was never intended to be an end in and of itself. Never. It's not what God actually created it for. And as far as our identities are concerned, knowledge was actually just meant to instruct us where we need to grow new skills. It wasn't meant to give us the skills. It was meant to show us this is what you need to become. So if you read, I didn't go over the whole passages for the sake of time, but you can read through Ephesians, basically the whole book, but read through all of Ephesians 3 and uh, 4, you're going to find tons of stuff on don't live like this, live like this, okay? And if you try to go out from here and just take all, that whole list and say, okay, I'm going to be all of the do like this, I'm going to be this person from now on, you're going to fail. It's impossible. Knowledge was never meant to make you this person. It was meant to show you, okay, so look at this list. This is where you are. This is where you're going. Now, now we grow and we learn in Christ. We put off the old self. We put on the new self. Now we begin to tackle. Okay, I'm, not, I'm supposed to be loving in all things. I'm supposed to be thankful in all things. Then we look at our lives and say, hey, wait, I'm not thankful in all things. I've been struggling with blank for the last six months, and I don't think I've thanked God once for it. In fact, I think I'm miserable in this the whole time. I haven't been relational. I haven't been loving. So we look at the contrast and we say, okay, Lord, how do we now navigate this? How do I learn this new skill of being thankful? So you start, and in the beginning, my wife says, I mean, maybe it's a bad saying, I don't know, but she says, fake it till you make it, right? And I know you've probably heard that before, but when we've been going through our own struggles and stuff this last year and growing, and it's been an amazing year of growth for both of us in our marriage, but she says many times that she's gone to God like that, and that's what she feels like he'll say back to her, fake it till you make it. Just keep trying. It's okay, but I don't feel it. That's okay. Keep trying. You will feel it. The feelings will come. That'll come. The heart will come as you learn the skill. But in the beginning, you're learning hockey. In the beginning, you think about everything that you're doing. Eventually, though, do you think NHLers, do you think they think about every move? Not a chance. 
The stick becomes an extension of their will and, and intentions and desire. That's how it works. When you first pick up a stick, though, you got to think about everything you're doing. It's very difficult. That's how it works, right? You fake it till you make it. You keep practicing until it becomes an extension of who you are. That's how you grow an identity. That's how we grow, okay? We err when we assume that learning is enough. Many Christians just want to hear another message, learn another promise, right? Read some inspirational book. Are they valuable? Yeah, certainly they're valuable. As it, I mean, when you use it the way I just said there, to instruct you where you need to now grow, they're very, very valuable. We should learn. Knowledge is good that way. But if we think that that's our hope of change, we are going to be greatly disappointed. It won't change you. It won't change you. In fact, if, if you think it's going to change you, it'll end up just leaving you with more guilt and shame and condemnation. Because the more you learn, the more you realize you can't do it right. That's what you'll learn, okay? This isn't a new problem either. The Pharisees did the same thing, didn't they? Remember in John 5, 39 40, Jesus said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus is saying, guys, knowledge isn't the end in and of itself. You're, you're priding yourselves because you have this all figured out. You know the law better than anybody else. So what? So you have the right answers, but then constantly throughout Scripture, he's showing them you can say the right things, but your heart is far from me because you're not actually practicing the skills. You're, you talk about loving God, yet you put love of self over loving me all the time. See, it's a problem. It's not a new problem in the West. It's an old problem. It's a problem that's just like Chris preached last week. Nothing is new, right? I mean, we, we all struggle in the same areas over and over and over again, right? This isn't a new problem in the West, but it is our problem nonetheless, it's a problem that we have to face, we have to deal with, we have to grow in. Let me tell you why knowledge isn't, isn't enough. There's a really good reason for this. Once again, it goes back to how God made us. Mm. Water is so satisfying. Yeah. Anyways, so problem with knowledge alone. Okay, so why, why can't we just learn the knowledge here and then just do the skill here? Like, why can't we do that? I'll tell you how it works. God actually made you in a certain way. So when you feel distress, when you get overwhelmed, so, you know, someone rejects me or someone hurts me, they wound me, they insult me, I get super upset. Ugh, I'm, I'm mad now, right? Okay, so guess what happens on a neurological level when you get angry like that, you get overwhelmed or distressed? The first thing that happens is the left side of your brain where your librarian is, the file folder that stores all those good facts that you learned about how you're supposed to stay loving no matter how you feel, right? You've learned that. We all know the answer. Yeah, the first thing to shut off when you get overwhelmed is the left side of your brain. Is that a problem? Yeah, that's a big problem. Because then what do you do? You, now, you can't rely on what you've learned through a book because it doesn't help you now when you're actually feeling the overwhelm. What you're going to default to now is what you know to be true as skills. So what are the skills that you have seen, modeled for you, that you have then practiced yourselves and learned to do as a skill? What are those skills? That's how you're going to respond now when you're angry and distressed. So if all is, I mean, and I've dealt with people, and, and it's very well-meaning because we don't, I know this is very hard to get because we don't, if I see, you know, a physical problem, a broken hand, it makes sense that I can't pick something up. For some reason, when we have spiritual problems or emotional problems, we think that they're governed by an entirely different set of rules than anything else in the physical realm. But they're not. The same God made all of them, and they're actually governed by very similar rules. Right? We have to learn these things. So if you grew up and your parents, right, they were very shut down emotionally, and you never learned, you never saw them angry, right? You might think, wow, that must be the best job you could do parenting. Right? If your kids never see you angry. Except for the fact that they never had anyone model for them how to be angry. Is that a problem? It's a big problem when you're trying to answer that question and when all your knowledge shuts off and you revert to what is it like me and my people to do 
and you've never seen anyone angry, you're very likely to do something that you later on regret. Make sense? That's how it works. That's how we were made. He doesn't want you just to be able to be good enough on your own because you know some good facts. Good for you, right? You can read a book and now you can be the best person alive. You can be perfect. Doesn't work that way for anybody. Doesn't work, okay? So you practice. Anyhow, that's why, that's, I mean, you can hear and lies the problem with many of our bad reactions, struggles, bondages, sin, brokenness. Personally, relationally, it lies in this because we have a lot of good facts here. By the way, if facts were good enough, just to drive this home, like point really, really home, if facts were good enough, then wouldn't our church, I mean, I can't speak for other churches, but I'm, there's lots of good churches out there, but for sure here, because I know it's preached here and taught here, wouldn't we have no broken marriages and broken people in our church if facts were good enough? Of course, of course we would have no broken people. We would all be Jesus. Small j Jesuses, right? Wouldn't we? If facts were good enough, because we can read. He tells us what to do. Oh, we just do that. Okay, be like this. Okay, I'll be like that. Die to self. Got baptized once. Never have to do that again. Good thing I died to self at that point. Now I'm a new creation. Woo! Right? I don't know how much better heaven can get, right? I mean, I already, I'm experiencing it here on earth. It doesn't work that way. We all know that it doesn't work that way. You can learn a message and it doesn't change you because it was never designed to change you. It was not designed to show you where you need to change, right? Which will now be a process. It'll, you'll learn it like a skill. That's how it goes, okay? So how do we grow this later on in life? I'm not going to spend a lot of time here this weekend. This weekend, I'll do that next weekend. Next weekend, we're going to walk through more of the practical sides of what we do here when we find holes in our identity and self. Uh, but for now, taste and see that the Lord is good. You want an easy answer? Taste and see that the Lord is good. How does your brain grow identity when you're younger? It grows through the reflection of your face in the eyes of another. That's how it grows. That's the prim primary means, number one, okay? Number two, through what you see modeled for you. You see a model, right? Monkey see, monkey do. That's how you grow, right? You connect. Oh, mom looks at me with joy. She loves me. I love her. We're bonded, right? I must be someone that's valuable. So now I start watching, what does mom do when she acts like this and when she acts like this? When I'm angry, mom picks me up and makes me happy. Oh, okay. So I can learn that as a skill. I can actually return to joy when I'm angry. We learn that as a skill. The monkey see, monkey do. Later on in life, how do we learn that when you haven't been given all those skills? That's okay. You can have a relationship with Jesus and you can taste and see that he is good. Do you know that you can go and look in his face when you're angry? You're like, when I'm angry? Yeah, when you're angry. God, I'm angry right now. I need, I need to know, how do you see me right now? And he says, I know you're angry. I get that. I understand. This is really difficult what you're going through. You know what? I love you anyways. And you're like, oh, he didn't even fix my problem, but for some reason I already feel like I'm, I feel better. Why is that? He's returning you to joy. He's redefining who you think you are. He's redefining you. You can actually see yourself reflected in his face. He actually invites us to come and see how he sees us. Right? He invites us into this process. It's a wonderful thing, actually. And then, you know what else he, he gives us? He gives us a model. Jesus came and modeled. All of our weaknesses, all of like, he modeled anger, he modeled fear, hopeless despair, shame. Now, it's not the same kind of shame that we have where we sin and feel shame, but he felt shame on the cross, being naked and exposed there. He felt shame. He felt disgust, but yet he always stayed true to who he was. See, he modeled for us how to do that, right? Now, just seeing the model alone won't change you unless you also have the connection. You have to have that bond, just like you would with your mom, right? So you look, oh, she's happy to be with me. I'm bonded. I love her. She loves me. She sees me as someone valuable. I want to be like her, right? You can't shortcut that process. You can do that later on in life. You can taste and see that the Lord is good. You know what? That's not something you do once, twice, a hundred times, a thousand times. It's something you do every day for the rest of your life.
And guess what? You learn it just like a skill, by the way. Just like another skill. It's all skills. You know who become the NHL players? The ones that practice the most. You want to master the skill of faith? You want to master the skill of loving others? Of staying the same person over time regardless of how you feel? You want to master those skills? Then practice till you get mastery. Practice, practice, practice. And Jesus walks with you. He's a coach. He's a mentor. He's your father. He's, he loves you. He'll walk with you and he'll strengthen you and he'll empower you. It's a wonderful process, but more on that next week. You know, we also, there's one other way that we can grow. And that's also through listening to the leaders, right? By following their example. Leaders in the church and others in the church. Now with the others in the church, I will qualify that with, and even with the leaders, you want to follow people that are actually doing things that you need to learn. Does that make sense? So if you have, I mean, just having relationships doesn't mean that you're growing a strong sense of self. If the, all the people that you have relationships with and that you're emulating are also just as broken as you are in the same areas, you're not going to learn anything new from them. You're just going to learn to stay the same as you've always been. That's what you're going to learn. It's not really learning. You're just going to stay the same. Okay? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Do you remember that? I used to wonder why he would say that. It seemed like, oh, that's kind of borderline prideful, Paul. Right? Follow me as I follow Christ. Maybe you should have just left out the follow me part and say, follow Christ. That's when I was immature in my faith. Now I understand even the way God made us, that line makes perfect sense because that's how we grow a new sense of self. So he's saying, I get it. It's hard. It's difficult. You've got to put off the old self, put on the new self. Guys, I've already been doing this with Jesus. Follow me. I'll show you how it's done. Learn a new skill with me. Learn a new sense of self. Get a new identity. We'll learn it together. We have examples like this with Pastor Ray and Fran, my parents, here at Southland Church. Right? And we're lucky to have them. See, who your leaders are actually makes a big difference for how you learn a new sense of self. Huge difference. You know what they teach us? That we have faith. That you follow God in faith. We all know that here at Southland, don't we? Right? You follow God in a walk of faith. We all have an easier time emulating that, right? And living that life of faith. So I pastors see that when they come here. Oh, everyone's different here. Yeah, because we have good models. Yeah, obviously we're following Jesus, obviously, but it's the follow me as I follow Christ. You know what else I've learned from them? To uh, persevere and to do the right thing even when you're hurting. You know, a little while ago, I led a retreat where I was deathly ill. In fact, even on a 15-minute break, I would go and fall asleep in my office. I, like, it was hideous. I've never been that sick that I recall ever. I felt terrible. And I had an option just to give up. And you know what I thought? No, I, that's just not like me to do that. It's not like me to give up just because I'm hurting when there's ministry that needs to be done. It's not like me to do that, unless I have to. Not, not that I can't, but I just felt like it's not like me to do that. Where do I learn that from? That's where I learned that from. It's a skill. I learned from my parents. We learned that. We all learn that. We watch what my mom has gone through with her head. Right now, my daddy's got his neck stuff and the pressure that's on him. But we watch how they handle it. Monkey see, monkey do, and we emulate. See, if they can handle that, and I've said that lots, even from the frontier, when I get super stressed out, I often go talk to my dad and say, hey, dad, what are you up to lately? And he gets, tells me his list of stuff, right? He did that this week again while I was doing message prep. I was like, wow, I'm like up to my head and prep. And then he sends me a short little email back listing off four things that he's doing. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> right? Perspective. I'm like, oh, I, my, my load's pretty light. Anyhow, we learned this, right? How about being a cheerful servant? My mom has really modeled that for us here. Even when her head is pounding and she's just cheerful, loves everyone, loves people. We learned that from them, okay? I'll be spending more time on that next week though, okay? So enough of that. We're going to go on to the third piece here. And I like this piece, and that is capacity. You need the strength to change. You say, how does this fit in with identity? So this is the new piece, okay? So 
The skills you learn to mature in character and identity are located in your level four of your control center. So that's the identity region, okay? So those, that's where you store these skills and answer the question, what is it like me and my people to do when we feel mad, blank? The capacity, though, is stored in a different part of your brain. That's called the level three. It's your cingulate cortex, right? And it's the part of your brain that allows you to share experiences with others. And scripture actually has a great deal to say about this as well. Romans 12 talks all about how to train and strengthen your, your, uh, uh, um, your level three, right? Because it talks about laugh when they laugh, cry when they cry. Those are shared experiences. He's talking about how we relate to others. We enter into their world where they're at, right? You don't come in laughing when someone's crying. It's inappropriate. He was setting a standard. Why? He's, that's how he made us, right? The first step is connecting to someone. You got to connect on level three before you can go to level four. That's just how it works, okay? So level three, okay? So level three allows us to share experiences with others. So when mom and baby, they're sharing, and they're smiling together and sharing joy, that's level three that's growing right there. Level three, right? They're connected. They're sharing an experience. When two, uh, when, when uh, spouses, when they're fighting and they're both angry, <laughs> now they're sharing in a negative experience together. Both of them feeling like the other person is making me angry when the truth is, on a, on a neurological level, they are making themselves angry, right? They're angry together. It's a together thing. That's how it works. That's how God made us to, to operate in the context of togetherness with others. So how does this work now when it comes to identity and how does this whole piece work together? If level three fails, so if your capacity and strength in level three to stay relational and to share an experience with others, if that fails, it doesn't matter what you've learned in level four, anything above shuts off as well, right? So you have it ordered like this, one, two, three, four, level three shuts off, level three, and anything above shuts off. So if you lack the capacity or strength, then you also can't act in line with who you are, okay? So that's how that works. Let me show you how this works in, in the uh, hockey or dance. I'm going to use dance now. So we're going to go to the same analogy, how these three pieces work together, and I'm going to use dance. So Let's say we had a Dancing for, for Dummies book. I'm sure there is a Dancing for Dummies. There's probably thousands of them with different kinds of dance, okay? Because they make tons of those for Dummies books, and they're actually really, really good if you've ever looked at them. They really simplify understanding facts about how to do something. Okay, so suppose I would give you the Dancing for Dummies book, and I would say, go read this, study it, because we're going to learn how to dance. Awesome. So you come back a couple of weeks later, and you say, Steph, and that was bar none. Maybe you hadn't even read one, so you're kind of lying to me a little bit, but bar none, the best book on dancing I've ever read. In fact, I actually, for the first time, I used to think it was complicated watching people twirl around and do all this kind of stuff. Now I think anybody could do it, right? So you're confident because you read that for dummies book. You're confident. You have the right answers now. You can do it. So I say, great. That's awesome. I'm preaching this weekend. Why don't you come up and join me for a little demo we're going to do in front of the congregation? How's that sound? Suddenly your confidence in how easy dancing is starts to diminish a little bit, right? It's like, oh, I don't know about that. Maybe I'm not that good yet. Maybe I'm not totally ready. Okay? So suppose, I mean, we understand that with the dance, the same as the hockey analogy. We know that I would have to teach you how to dance, or someone would have to teach us how to dance. We'd have to learn that together. But this is how the capacity and strength piece works with all of that. Now suppose I wanted to teach you to dance, but you had broken legs. Could you learn how to dance? The answer is no, right? There'd be an intermediary step, wouldn't there? Before we get to dance steps and moves, why don't we do some rehab on those legs because they're broken? You're not going to be able to dance and spin and twirl if you can't even stand on your legs. You see how that works? You could, add, you could apply that analogy to anything, right? You need your hands. For a skill that you would need your hands, if your hands are broken, you won't be able to learn that new skill. You can't play piano with no fingers, 
Right? If your hands are broken, this is how that works. You can't learn those skills. There's a step in between, and that is growing our capacity and strength. The capacity and strength to actually learn a new skill. You have to actually be able to learn it. And you say, how does that apply to me as a Christian in learning these new skills? Many Christians have broken legs spiritually and emotionally in their walks with Jesus, in their lives. They're living in a totally broken state. Right? We lack the strength and capacity to even practice what we've learned. So we try and we get overwhelmed easily and, and then suddenly we're full of anxiety and hopeless despair and guilt and condemnation. And often you know what it leads to? Often there's two responses to this, right? They either give up and it just leads to lawlessness. Who cares? I'm not even going to bother trying because I can't. Or they say, I'm just going to control it even more and it turns to legalism. I'm just going to control it. I'm just going to make it happen. But it's dead inside. They're dead inside. Right? And it's terrible and it hurts and it sucks, right? So what are these broken legs? What does it look like? Okay? And we're going to look at what breaks our legs spiritually. So to begin, though, I'm going to look at uh, what grows our capacity. Okay? So how do we grow the strength? And the first thing is joy grows our capacity. Right? So that's what you have to know. Joy grows our capacity. We're designed to have our strength and capacity grow through the strength of our relationships and the joy and love we experience within them. That's actually how it works, right? Joy is relational, if you remember that. Um, it's our capacity grows through joyful experience and relationship, right? Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Does that, make, does that have a little bit more meaning when you understand how we were made? The joy of the Lord is our strength. It lit literally is our strength. That level three that gives you the strength to actually become a new person that actually grows through joy. So scripture teaches us that the joy of the Lord can actually become your source of strength, which is actually truth. It's how God actually made you. It's how he made me. Right? So it should come as no surprise that it's found in Scripture. Romans 15, verse 13. This, I stumbled upon this verse a little while ago. I'd read it many times before, but it hadn't gripped me the same. But look what it says here. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that, the power, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So what does it say here? It says that the foundation of our hope. What is the foundation of our hope? Our hope, the ability to move forward, the ability to change, our hope, right? In a new life, new creation. What is the foundation of our hope? Joy and peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Scripture, right? That's our foundation. Neurologically, that's level three. That's where it's hitting us. When we actually experience God's joy and his peace in our lives, it strengthens us in that part of your mind, right? You think, well, how does that, I mean, do you know any time you have felt close to God, you ever had that where he meets you in pain? You ever had that where he meets you, right? And just feels wonderful. You know, you, he meets you in an old memory or meets you in the moment and you just know he's with you and it feels good. Or you meet him and you're reading something and it just, scripture comes alive and you just feel, wow, and you just feel God's love for you and you feel your his delight. And you're like, this is amazing, this feeling. What you're feeling is that level three. That's what it feels like, right? That's what, that feels like when it's growing, right? We need to be strong in that area. Okay, so what is, and I'm going to talk more about that next week and how we actually grow that intentionally because there's a lot of intentional steps you can take to actually grow here. But for now, what is the biggest limiter of our capacity? That's fear. Fear is the biggest limiter of our capacity, okay? So for, fear keeps us from enjoying the richness of joy and love in our relationships and robs us of our strength and capacity to change. So I'll show you how this works again with a personal story. Um, this is now just, just a little while, this is just a little while ago, but um, we were having all staff prayer and we went in there and one of the slides, we we're doing all staff prayer, we do it for three hours every month and a slide came up, do you always feel God's love? And I immediately answered, yes, of course. And then I had a little check. And I thought, well, maybe not so much. I normally feel God's love. Actually, and then I started thinking about it more. Well, really, I actually only feel God's love when I'm doing something for him. And then right away, I was like, oh. Because I've been working on that for a long time, and I'm like, I st oh, I'm still there. I'm still learning this. 
So I began to pray about this because you're like, well, how does this apply to what we're talking about here? Well, I'll tell you how it applies. Because I only felt God's love when I'm doing something, guess what I was trying to do? Be a perfectionist. I was always trying to busy myself. So if I'm very, very busy, that means I'm doing well in my faith and that God loves me. But the moment I stop, so if, I mean, because is it, is it good to be busy all the time or should we also have rest? You think rest? You think that's important? God made us to rest. He made us to sleep. We know rest is important. God even, it was even in the creation. Rest was a, a creation principle. But yet for me, when I would rest, when I stopped doing, I right away feel like I'm disconnected from God. So I feel guilt and shame. And instead of feeling rest, I feel all these distressing emotions. So I actually feel far from God. Well, guess what happens when I go back to work? Did I actually get the rest I need? The recharge that I was wanting? No, I feel blah. So now I go back to doing and I got to do even harder to try to get myself to feel good about myself again, to try to recharge that way. Can you see how fear drained my capacity there? Big time, right? And as my capacity was drained, that even when I'm doing, I'm not even always doing exactly and living the way I'm supposed to live. I wasn't acting in line with myself. That's how fear affects us, right? He obviously lifted that burden. I'm not going to go into that for the sake of time, but he lifted that burden completely, and it's been totally different since. In fact, this week of prep has been the best message prep I've ever had because of one defining difference. Every time I was able to rest, I was able to sense him with me. Even when I went to the gym, when I'd go for on my elliptical, I was taking pictures of my selfies yesterday on the elliptical because I'm like, I have never been on an elliptical and been so happy in my life. I'm just, I felt like I was exercising with Jesus. I'm like, this is fun. I love life like this. It's recharging. Then you go back to work and I'm energized. I'm like, oh, this is great. God's with me. He's with me when we watch a movie. He's with me when I exercise. He's with me when I'm working. He's with me when I'm with my family. He's with me when I'm eating. He's with me all the time. Better together than alone. It's a wonderful thing. It grows your capacity. So instead of going back to work and feeling drained, I go back to work feeling energized. I actually wondered how this message would turn out. I said, I've never felt such little pressure for preaching. So I wonder if I'm not feeling enough pressure. Right? <laughs> so I guess you can grade me after. Don't, don't do anything mean though. Because I'm still sensitive, right? I still have fear. My, my identity isn't so strong. I'm, I'm kidding. Okay, so fear drains our capacity. A great quote I heard from, uh, from Dr. Wilder was, the only thing we fear are the feelings we cannot adequately manage, adequately manage. And I really like that because there's a lot of truth in that. And that's typically what drives fear. We're afraid of a great many things because of how it makes us feel. We're afraid to feel pain. That's what we're actually afraid of. And you might say, are you sure about that? Well, I'll give you an example. How many people in here know that sugar is bad for you? Now, this one you can raise your hands for. Do you, you know that? There's a few of you, some of you don't know sugar's bad for you. Well, here I'm telling you, sugar's bad for you, okay? It kills more people in North America than almost anything else. Sugar. Yet how many people in here are afraid of sugar? Nobody. Why? Because it doesn't hurt. It feels good. Why would you be afraid of something that doesn't hurt? You wouldn't. That's how it works. Our fear, when we have fear-driven behavior, it's because we fear pain. We fear something that's going to make us hurt that we don't know how to handle. We don't know how to deal with it. You can see why fear is the opposite of faith can't you? Right? Because we fear what's going to hurt us, right? And that's obviously the opposite of faith because we don't trust that God is sovereign in those areas. We don't trust that he is in control. That's how it actually works, okay? So that's what we fear. So when, we're, when we have lots of fear, it means we're highly motiv motivated to avoid feelings we don't currently have the capacity to handle. So we avoid those feelings, we run from them, we hide from them, right? You know, I talked about those six difficult emotions, uh, fear, anger, sadness, disgust, shame, hopeless despair, Right? All of those big emotions, we end up trying to run from them. We blow up when we feel them. You know, we hide. We do all sorts of things creatively to avoid those feelings that we fear because we don't know how to handle them. Right? That's how fear works. So instead of acting like ourselves, staying relational and being loving no matter what, learning who we are in Christ, 
Instead, we do things that we later on regret, and we wish, oh, why can't I change? And it's because we're living in fear. Fear is what drains our capacity. Some fear rejection, so they learn not to value relationships. And they just think, that's how God made me, because they started doing it very early on in life. I don't value relationships. I don't need people. That's a fear response. You learned very early on that when you try to connect to others, you learned that rejection hurts. So instead of feeling that over and over and over again, because that's really, really painful, you just say, okay, fine, then I'm not going to value relationships later on in life. Some fear being alone, so they, become, so they become consumed with connecting to others. I always have to be, oh, like, I need, I need, I need. They're fearful. Others fear people's responses, so they, don't, they aren't truthful. They aren't open in marriage. Some fear things will never change, so they give up and stop trying. Some fear that the pain will never end, so they turn to sex, drugs, and alcohol to find relief in the moment. Some fear they won't be accepted the way they are, so they work really hard at being chameleons and being to all people, all things that, you know, so that they can just be whatever you want me to be, and they don't even have a sense of self. Some fear failure, so they never try new things. Right? Anytime we're allowing fear to guide our choices, we rob ourselves of our capacity and strength and are unable to act like the people God made us to be. So what's the answer to this? 1 John 4, 17 to 18 gives us a glimpse of the answer. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. As we live in God. That's a process, by the way. Something you have to do. As you live in Him. Not as you lived in Him once because you said a prayer. As you live in Him, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face Him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. He's talking about the process of becoming like Christ. It's a new identity. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And therein we have the answer to fear. It is actually being perfected by love, and we're not going to go through the process of how we do that here in this message. I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this up now, and we're going to continue that next week. We're going to look at how we actually do this. But, uh, yeah, for now I want to read you one more passage, but before I get there, what I'm going to be doing this, this week, because then I want to pray for you guys, but uh, what we're going to be doing, instead of giving you a weekly challenge today, I'm going to be giving you a daily weekly challenge. So it's still the weekly challenge, but you're getting it daily. And we're going to give an exercise every day for the next two weeks. So for this message and then for the one to follow, they're not going to have a lot of explanations, but they're going to be exercises designed, the same kinds of things that I've been doing to help myself and my family to grow in those same areas, that are designed to help you grow your capacity and also designed to help you grow a new sense of self. What do you actually do? They're practical things. So we're going to send it out. It's going to be posted on Facebook, so you can look at it there if you don't have Facebook. If you're signed up for the weekly challenge emails that come out, you'll be getting them daily. Okay, so don't spam them while you can, but then unspam them later on. But just go through them. It'll be a fun thing to do together as a family. It's family exercise time. And if you aren't a part of, you know, you don't have Facebook and you're not part of that list, then just email the church and sign up. Email the church that you want to be on the weekly challenge list that, that gets emailed out every week, and uh, we'll put you on that daily list. You'll be able to see it, okay? But for now, I want to end by showing you one uh, famous prayer, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, which I really think actually encapsulates everything we're talking about here. And then I want to pray, pray it over you. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being, brackets are all mine, that's your capacity, so that, the, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that secure attachment, I preached on that a number of months ago, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, that's a healthy level one, attachment, strong bond to Christ, that you may have the strength, capacity again, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, uh, breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ, that is the identity now, that surpasses knowledge, left hemispheric knowing, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. 
You see all the things we've just preached on here encapsulated in one little prayer that Paul gives. It covers all of it. This is how God made us. It's nothing new. I'm just teaching it to you in a new way. But it's nothing new. It's been written in the Bible forever. Like I said, we were designed to live according to the Word. We were made that way. Right? So let me bow your heads and I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray this very prayer over you. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you that you put so much time and effort into creating us. And I thank you, God, that nothing is by accident. No one's here by accident. There's no accidents here. You planned each one of us to be here. You have a specific calling. You have a specific name for every person that is here today. All of us. So Jesus, today I just pray that you would strengthen each one of us through the power of your spirit in our inner being. Would you grow our capacity so that Christ may dwell, so that you may dwell in our hearts through faith. Would you grow our secure attachment to you? That, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, that we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth to know your love, O Lord. God, would you teach us to take the things that we have learned on a factual side in the left hemisphere? Would you teach us how to now walk in these things? Teach us these new skills. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.